Well, this morning I appreciated the uh, message from Kevin, and there were a couple things that were said that kind of key into where I'm going to go tonight. His comment was at camp, we see people dedicate their lives to the Lord, and then basically they fall away. And the next year they come back and they do the same thing. I think with believers, <clears throat> be it a true belief or be it a false profession, we tend to be on fire and then we slack off. That's what I kind of put into what Kevin had said. As a new believer, this is just not what should be done. So we're going to look at the Old Testament tonight uh, and look at what was required if you were going to be a servant of the Lord. So let's look at Numbers 5, or excuse me, Numbers 6. Numbers 6, and what we're looking at is when someone took a Nazarite vow. The vow, they were going to serve the Lord. Again, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, When a man or woman makes a special vow. So they have a choice. They chose to make a special vow. The vow of the Nazarite to dedicate himself to the Lord. He shall abstain from wine and strong drink. He shall drink no vinegar, whether made from wine or strong drink. Neither shall he drink any grape juice, nor eat fresh or dried grapes. All the days of his separation, he shall not eat anything that is produced by the grapevine. From the seeds, even to the skin, all the days of his vow, all the days of his vow, separation, of separation, no razor shall pass over his head. He shall be holy until the days are fulfilled for which he separated himself to the Lord. He shall let the locks of his hair on his head grow. All the days of his separation from the Lord, he shall not go near a dead person. He shall not make himself unclean. For his father, his mother, his brother, his sister, when they die, because his separation to God is on his head. All the days of his separation, he is to be holy to the Lord. So there's a commitment that is made there and a choice for the Nazarite vow. There's no specific time period listed, be for a short period, for a long period. Uh, but there's no time frame. Now, Awana, I've been thinking some time of speaking to the kids about Samson. That's where all this comes about. So turn to Judges 13. Judges 13. <clears throat> this is the seventh time in Judges that it is listed the sons of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord, so that the Lord gave them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. 40 years is at that point the longest time that they were uh, under someone else. 
So they're under the Philistines here for 40 years. There was a certain man named Zorah of the family of Dantes who came from Manoah, and his wife was barren. She bore no children. The angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold now, you are barren, have borne no children, but you shall conceive and give birth to a son. Now the conditions. Therefore, he's talking to the angel of the Lord's talking to the mother. Therefore, be careful not to drink wine, strong drink, nor eat any unclean thing. Samson was going to be born. The mother has inherited that part of the Nazarite vow while she is conceived. For behold, you shall conceive and give birth to a son. No razor shall come upon his head, for the boy shall be a Nazarite to God. The Nazarite vow has now been given from the angel of the Lord, from God, to Samson. From the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel from the hands of the Philistines. It doesn't say he will deliver the Philistines from, uh, or uh, the Israelite, Israel, from the hands of the Philistines. It says he will begin. If we look at uh, the thought here, it would seem right that it would just say he's going to deliver Israel from the Philistines. But God knows what is going to happen in Samson's life. So the comment here is begin. If we go over to verse 17, Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, what is your name? So that when the words come to pass, we may honor you. But the angel of the Lord said to him, why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? God himself has come. He knows what's happening. He's told uh, the wife of Menorah what, is going to, what uh, she's going to conceive. In verse 24, Then the woman gave birth to a son and named him Samson. The child grew up. And the Lord blessed him. Very important comment. And the Lord blessed him. Samson, the word means little son. That's important too. We'll get to that in a little bit. Few men in the Bible exhibit such a contrast in their life. Samson, when we think of him, we think of how strong he was. That's the first thing that come, came to my mind. And that's why I started looking at this uh, to speak at Awana. But he is a direct contrast in strength and weakness. And we're going to see that through the next few chapters. We're going to bounce around a little bit. I'm not going to go verse by verse. In uh, you don't have to look it up because we'll see it later. 
in uh, 14, 5, and 6, he kills a lion with his bare hands, strength. In 14, 19, he killed 30 Philistines single-handed. In 14 and 16, he broke the cords with which the men of Judah had bound him. Then he slew 1,000 Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey. This is one man. The strength that he had. But remember back where it says, and the Lord blessed him. The Lord was upon him. He was able to slay a thousand men with a jawbone of a donkey that was dead. At this point, Samson is tired. And if we look at 15, 18, then he became very thirsty. This is after he has killed a thousand men in verse 15. He called to the Lord, you have given this great deliverance by the hand of your servant. And now I shall die of thirst and fall into the hands of the Philistines, of the uncircumcised. But God split the hollow place that is in Lehi so that water came out of it. When he drank, his strength returned and he revived. Was it the water that revived him? He called upon the Lord, and the Lord came back to him, gave him the strength. A little further, we see after that, in 16.3, and we'll get into the weakness that uh, was right before this, but he takes the gates of Gaza that were locked. He picks them up. He takes them off where they were secured and he carries them for 38 miles uphill. I've heard that one before. Uphill, snow both ways or uphill both ways, snow. He, in scripture, carried these heavy gates 38 miles. We look at the strength of Samson and we think absolutely amazing what he could do. Again we see the Lord's strength. The Lord was upon him. Let's go to 14, chapter 14. We get into the weaknesses of Samson. He had a weakness for women. We're going to see that in three different uh, scriptures. He was willing to disobey God. He was willing to go against his parents. In 14, uh, 1 through 8, then Samson went down to Timnah and saw a woman, one of the daughters of the Philistines, the enemies of Israel the ones that were keeping them captive. So he came back and told his father and mother, I saw a woman in Timnah, one of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, therefore, 
get her for me as a wife. He didn't say, God, what is best for me in order to serve you? He had the weakness of the flesh, and he said, go get this woman for me. Then his father, his mother, said to him, Is there no woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all our people that you can take as a wife, that you don't take as a wife uh, from the uncircumcised Philistines? Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she looks good to me. He's totally thinking about himself. He's not thinking about what has been entrusted to him. He's not thinking about how he could serve God. His Nazarite vow, I'm sure that was conveyed to him. Uh, He's thinking about, she looks good to me. So definitely a weakness for women. The second woman that he has a problem with is in 16.1 that is listed in scripture. Now Samson went to Gaza and he saw a harlot and he went into her. So again, he falls for a woman for his own lusts, for his own thoughts of what he wants to do. Of course, the one that we know the most of is 16.4. After this, a woman came about that he, he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. That is the Achilles heel for many men and women uh, with the men that they look at or go after is we don't consider what the ramifications are going to be by thinking only about ourselves. There's no indication in scripture that Samson ever attempted or did marry Delilah. It's not there. It looks like it was purely lust and a physical thing that he was involved with. Samson practiced deceit. And we see that in that he broke the Nazarite vow. He killed a lion. 14.6 through 9. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily. Again, this is repeated throughout these sections. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily. So that he tore the lion as one tears a young goat. Though he had nothing in his hand, but he did not Tell his mother or his father what he had done. Deceit. He's not honest with what has happened. He went down and talked to the women, to the woman, and she looked good to Samson. When he returned later to take her, he turned aside to the carcass of the lion. And behold, a swarm of bees and honey were in the body of the lion. So he scraped the honey into his hands. He went on eating as he went. When he came to his father and mother, he gave them the food and they ate it. 
But he did not tell them that he had scraped the honey out of the body of the lion. Don't touch a dead thing. Stay away from it. His mother was told, don't eat the grapes, uh, uh, anything, the wine, uh, the grapes. He did not tell his parents what he did, but he gives honey from a dead carcass. Remember, he killed the 30 Philistines with the jawbone of a dead animal. He doesn't tell folks what he has done. In practicing deceit, we will see in uh, 16, verse 7, when he's talking to Delilah. He says, uh, if they bind, uh, she's asked, where does your power come from? What has happened before is, well, we'll get into that. But he's talking to Delilah. And he says, if they bind me with seven fresh cords and have, uh, that have been, not been dried, then I shall become weak like any other man. That was a lie. It was deceit. To Delilah. What Samson is doing is playing with evil. He's playing with his fate of what is going to happen to him. In verse 11, if they bind me tightly with new ropes which have not been used, I will become weak. That wasn't true either. In verse 13b, If you weave the seven locks of my hair with a web and fasten it with a pen, then I shall become weak like any other man. Samson, through tempting, through his deceit and tempting evil, tempting what was going to happen to him, gives a part of the answer of his strength. What he feels is his hair. In 15, he actually says, or she is talking to him, Delilah, and she's been told by the Philistines, I want you, or we want you to entice him. That's a reference to do whatever you have to do, sexual He likes you. He likes what he sees in women. Uh, Do what you have to do. Entice him. Find out what it is. So now Delilah, because the door has been opened three times, says, how can you say I love you? She throws the guilt trip on Samson. So he tells the truth. It's a downfall of Samson. In verse 14 and 12, Samson did what people do or did in that time frame. They told riddles. Riddles would be like playing cards today or playing games. It's one of the things they did. So he says, 
Let me propound a riddle to you. If you will indeed tell it to me within the seven days of the feast and find it out, then I will give you 30 linen wraps and 30 changes of clothes. But if you are unable to tell me, then you shall give me 30 linen wraps and 30 changes of clothing. They said to him, give us your riddle. He talks about the lion that was killed and the honey that came out of it. There's no way they would figure this out. Out of the eater came something to eat. Out of the strong came something sweet. But they could not tell the riddle in three days. They'd been given seven days. So what they do, they know that Samson was going to marry the Philistine girl. Then it came about on the fourth day that they said to Samson's wife, entice your husband, Delilah, and with the Philistine girl. Entice your husband that he will tell us the riddle, or we will burn you and your father's house with fire. Have you invited us to impoverish us? Is it not so? Samson, again, is playing with fire. The more you play with something, there's an awfully good chance you're going to fail and it will win. Samson's wife wept before him and said, You only hate me. You do not love me. You have impounded a riddle on the sons of my people and have not told it to me. He says, I didn't even tell my parents. Why would I tell you? She wept. Before the seven days, while their feast lasted, and it came about on the seventh day that he told her, because you pressed him so hard, that he told her the riddle. What does she do? She tells the men of the city, those that came to her, if he wouldn't have gambled, if he wouldn't have got himself into a situation where he could lose 30 pieces of clothing, this wouldn't have happened. But now he lost the bet in 18. The men of the city said to him on the seventh day, what is sweeter than honey? What is stronger than a lion? And he said to them, he was upset at his wife. So he's talking about his wife. And he says, if you had not plowed my heifer, you would not have found out my riddle. He didn't put a condition in there that you can't ask my wife. They didn't do anything wrong. They found out the riddle. So now he owes the clothing. He's upset. He's mad. In... Verse 19, here's how he pays his debt that he committed himself to. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily, and he went down and killed 30 of them and took off their spoil and gave the changes of clothing to those who had told the riddle. And his anger burned, and he went up to his father's house. 
he left his bride. He goes up to his father's house. He kills 30 men because he lost the bet. Doesn't matter how he lost the bet, he lost the bet. He leaves. What happens in verse 20 is Samson's wife was given to his companion who had been his friend. His wife was given to the best man because Samson wasn't around. The father feels in verse 1, in the time of wheat harvest, it came about that Samson visited his wife with a young goat and said, I will go into my wife in her room. But the father said, you can't enter. Father said, I really thought you hated her. So I gave her to your companion. Is not their younger sister more beautiful than she? Please let her be yours instead. Samson is very, very upset. He knows that killing the Philistines was the wrong thing to do. He walked away and now he comes back and his wife, he finds out, has been given away. Now we see how cruel Samson can be. He's mad at them, his his father-in-law and his wife. Verse 4, he went and caught 300 foxes, took torches, turned the foxes tail to tail, put one torch in the middle between the two tails. When he had set fire to the torches, he released the foxes into the standing grain of the Philistines, thus burning both the grain, the shocks, and the vineyards. The Philistines said, who did this? They said, Samson. Well, they can't go against Samson. He's too strong. So in verse 6, because the wife was taken by the companion, so the Philistines came up and burned her and her father with fire. They punished the father, father-in-law, and the wife. Now they're dead. Samson says, I will surely take revenge on you. But after that, I will quit. He knew killing the Philistines was wrong. He admits that. He says, I'm going to take revenge, but then it's over. I'm done. In uh, 15, 10, verses 10, 11, the men of Judah said, Why have you come up against us? They said, we have come up to bind Samson in order to do to him as he did to us. Then 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock to Samson, and they made this comment, do you not know that the Philistines are rulers over us? So now he's caused problems for Israel because of what he has done. What then is that that you have done to us? And he said to them, as they they did to me, I did to them. 
They said to him, We have come down to bind you so that we may give you into the hands of the Philistines. And Samson said to them, Swear to me that you will not kill me. They said to him, No, but we will bind you fast and give you into their hands. Let surely we will not kill you. Then they bound him. In verse 14, he goes to Lehi. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him so that the ropes in his arms were like flax. He broke them. This is where he gets the jawbone and he kills a thousand Philistines. It is not Samson's hair that is his strength. Samson's strength, every time we see, is the Lord came upon him. That was Samson's strength. The outward show was the hair. Now we see in verse 18 and 19, Samson acknowledges that God has delivered him. You have given this great deliverance by the hand of your servant, and now I shall die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised. That's where the water is uh, provided by God, and he gets his strength back. Then it says he rules for 20 years. Samson's trouble throughout his life was Samson. We were talking this morning about making a vow and falling aside from that, not following through with what we tell the Lord. Samson was committed by the Lord for a life of the Nazarite vow to serve God. God knew that Samson would be weak, would not be able to follow that vow. That's why it says, begin to get away from the Philistines. Not he would get them away from the Philistines. We saw about the harlot in verse 16 or in chapter 16 in uh, his love for Delilah and what he falls into there. We look at uh, one of the greatest sins and the greatest temptations for man is uh, immoral relations with a female. It is something that directly caused the downfall of Samson. What happened to him here? He tempted himself with the flesh. We consider the things that could happen with us looking at the internet. Well, I'm just going to do it a little bit. Or uh, gambling. I'm just going to do it a little bit. The more we do something that is wrong, the more we do something that can hurt our family, the easier it is that that one time something will happen that we did not expect or we did not want. 
Samson didn't all of a sudden, boom, he had all these problems. These grew over the years with Samson. In verse 13, in telling the truth, or starting to tell the truth about his hair. In verse 15, Delilah tells him, I love you. Can't you tell me? You've deceived me three times. What is the strength? So he was annoyed in verse 16. In verse 17, he told her that in his heart, he, she was in his heart, a razor has never come to my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. I am, if I am shaved, my strength will leave me. So his strength does leave him because his hair is shaved. That was one of the, the Nazarite vows. We look at 21. They came and they seized him. They gouged out his eyes, the Philistines. In verse 20, the reason for that wasn't the haircut. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. Wasn't the haircut. The Lord left Samson. The thought in verse 25, you have a man that is weak. A man that has no strength. They call a bunch of folks together. They call for Samson that he may amuse them. So it might be they were having him pull on thing, knock things, and the strength was not there. I don't know what it would be. But they called, bring Samson so that he will amuse us. If we look down at 28, Samson is remorseful. His hair has started to grow back, go back from the time in prison. Samson called to the Lord and said, O oh Lord God, please remember me. And please strengthen me. As he says these things, he had killed a lot of Philistines. He is able to pull the pillars down, and he kills more people at that point, and he says, so I will die at the same time. Revenge for my eyes. He kills more people, more Philistines, than he had killed in the entire time of his life. Again, not because of the hair, because of the strength, because he asked for the Lord to strengthen him. When we look at advertisements of bodybuilders, you see what you think Samson would be. Samson was not that way. He wasn't a big, powerful man. His name, again, is Little Son. He had long hair, he was a riddle maker, and he played pranks. Women made a fool of him. 
When the Spirit of the Lord was with him, he was strong. When the Spirit of the Lord wasn't with him, he was weak. They wanted to know the, uh, the source of his strength. God chooses the weak people of the world to serve him. Samson was not a strong man. He was only strong because the Lord was with him. If we, if we look at a comparison of Samson and the Lord Jesus, we look at the fact that both births were foretold by an angel, that both were separated from, uh, from God at the, uh, from the time in the womb. Both were Nazarites. Both moved in the power of the Holy Spirit. Both were rejected by their people. Both either destroyed or will destroy their enemies. When we look at the contrast between the two, Samson lived a life of sin where Jesus knew no sin, could not sin. Samson, at the time of his death, prayed, O oh God, that I may have re uh, revenge on the Philistines. But our Lord Jesus said, Forgive them, for they know not what they do. In death, Samson's arms were outstretched, pulling down columns. The Lord's arms were outstretched on the cross in love. Samson died, and the Lord Jesus lives. In Samson's last words, O Lord, strengthen me. And that's what happened. When we consider our own lives and what we do to tempt ourselves, I have to look at the Lord's Prayer in the verse Matthew 6:13, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. But yet, believers and non-believers tempt what can happen every day. I went to In-N-Out the other day, and there was a young lady there. I, I don't know how old, because I couldn't look at her. Her shorts were so tight and so small. Her uh, shirt was cut away on the sides. And uh, you wonder, wh who are you tempting? What are you doing? And I, I chose to look the other way. I didn't even want to look at her. That's temptation that she shouldn't put herself into. There's 20, 30 men around her. Tonight, coming here, we see three skateboarders. And they're in the middle of the street or on the side of the street. We're coming down Indian Hill. One of them falls off, comes over toward a car. Didn't really get close to getting hit, but he was in the, in, in the street. Another one, when we get down to uh, Foothill, makes the curve and almost goes into a car that's turning. Again, it wasn't that close, but it sure looked it to me. Why do you do something for fun that can hurt you? Why do we as believers get into things that we should not be into? 
a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. All, if I do it 20 times, what are the odds something's going to go wrong? If I do it one time, what are the odds something's going to go wrong? We're told in 1 Timothy how to stay away from these things, how to lead our lives. 1 Timothy 2, or 2 Timothy 2. <clears throat> And if we look at verse 22. Now flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness. We're not just told what not to do. We're told what to do. Flee our lust. Flee evil. Flee temptation. And pursue, follow righteousness. Do what we said we would do for the Lord. We would serve him. We would be a witness for him. Pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call the Lord from a pure heart. Now, we get into discussions or arguments with non-believers. Refuse foolish and ignorant speculations, knowing that all they do is produce quarrels. We can talk about stuff, but it's not worth it to talk to a fool. We still need to represent the Lord to everyone. But an argument with someone that you're not going to win the battle with and doesn't want to even hear your side, Timothy is told, refuse foolish and ignorant speculations. We are bondservants of the Lord as believers. The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, must be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness, correcting those who are in, who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth. We do have a responsibility, but it needs to be portrayed in the right way. We need to keep our lives as pure as we can, and that doesn't mean playing with evil. We have to stay away from temptations. We, we had... Uh, a very good firefighter I worked with. He fell into a life of drugs. And when I talked to the uh, health coordinator downtown, because I unfortunately had to do the investigation on the death, her comment was, I've been talking to him for over a year. I knew his problem. The drug he took one time you are hooked. A life, a wife, two children, ruined over one time trying something. We can't do that. It may be the tenth time we do something. It may be the first time we do something. It may be the twentieth time. The best way is not to do something wrong the first time. 
pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord. That is what we need to do. In 1 Timothy 6.11, we don't need to turn there, we're out of time. Timothy is addressed as a man of God. In 1 Timothy 6.11, the Old Testament prophets were called men of God. We need to consider ourselves men and women of God. And we have a responsibility. Not that we're prophets, but we need to tell the unsaved about the Lord Jesus Christ. The problem is, if someone is here tonight or you talk to someone that is a non-believer, the Nazarite vow does nothing for them. They have to have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ to serve him. They have to realize that they are sinners. Or the comment they will hear from the Lord is go away, I never knew you. So as believers, we know what we should do and we know what we shouldn't do. Each of us with what we shouldn't do might be a little bit different. What we should do is all the same. And that's spelled out in 2 Timothy throughout the scripture. 2 Timothy is one area where it's spelled out. If we don't tell non-believers that they need to have that personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, then they may go to a lost eternity, just like that firefighter did. I knew him. I never talked to him about the Lord. I wasn't around him that much. But I missed opportunities, I'm sure. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do give thee thanks that your words, your thoughts, and your direction for our life has been provided for us in the scripture. We pray, Father, that we can be better representatives of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray, Father, that we will flee temptation, that we will be protected from evil. We realize it's not all what we do, Father, but we call upon your strength to strengthen us and make it known what we should do, what we shouldn't do. Give you thanks for this group of believers. We give you thanks that thy son died on the cross at Calvary and paid the price that we could not pay. In his name we pray. Amen.